Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Um, man, I don't know about you, but baptisms are one of my favorite, favorite things to participate in because they, each of those uh, girls, have, they've been renewed by the Holy Spirit, but then the act of baptism, to be able to display that and to celebrate that together, it inspires and encourages me. And uh, so make sure that when you see these girls around, just encourage them in this bold act uh, of worship that they've done. Uh, my name is Ryan Jorgensen. I'm a pastor, a new, a new pastor. I, I'm going to claim that as much as I can just because it gives me a lot of grace when I make mistakes. Uh, but a new associate pastor, in case you haven't been around and uh, missed that, it's not too long. Um, but uh, I get the opportunity to lead us into the, the, um, the Word of God. And so would you open your Bibles with me? We're going to be in the book of Mark. If you haven't been around, we're going verse by verse through that. We're going to be in Mark. And uh, we are going to be in chapter 13. And uh, say this is as always, if you don't have a physical Bible, you can use a digital app as well. Or if you don't even have any of that, you can get the CFC app and there's a free Bible on that app. So hopefully with all of that, every one of us, we can get into the scriptures because you're going to get so much more out of the sermon if you have a Bible in your own hands. And so go ahead and get ready for that. And as you are... Um, I'll say this, apparently Pastor Doug, who's our main pastor, gives most of the sermons in case you're new, uh, apparently he was impressed by my ability to talk fast, the first sermon I did, this is my second sermon. And so he's like, hey Ryan, why don't you just take a whole chapter for one sermon? And so here we are. And I hope you've drank a lot of caffeine and you just fastened in the seatbelt, because if you think you've seen fast yet, it's going to go really fast today, because as much as I wouldn't mind going through lunch, I'm sure you would not necessarily like that. So we're going to keep this short as much as possible. We're going to cover the whole chapter of 13. So with that said, let's jump in. Look at verse 1. As he, Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, Behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. What's going on? What the, what's the context? Uh, uh, this is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem back in Jesus' day. The, Jesus and his disciples are on the mount. There's the temple of the Jews there worshiping Yahweh. There was also a lot of other buildings around. It was a whole complex, the Temple Mount. It was massive. In fact, in the ancient world, it was considered a big wonder of the world. The Jews, of course, were uh, proud of this complex. And so that's why the disciple highlights it to Jesus, kind of you know, wondering what Jesus will say about it. And so look at verse two with me and uh, see what he says back. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? So he acknowledges they're, they're great, they're big, but check this out. Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. The disciples had to have been shocked by this. Uh, they, they're wondering, does he have heat stroke? <laughs> what did he have for lunch? This is huge. Uh, how... You're just blowing up our excitement. So look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So now we have him kind of uh, fast forward because the temple is on a, uh, a mountain, mountain called Mount Zion. Then you have a valley, Kidron Valley. And then up the next mountain is the Mount of Olives. And so apparently they've now walked up there. And uh, verse three, it says, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Here's what they were asking him. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? 
Because, you know, when someone claims to know the future, tells something about the future, and specifically something such a magnitude that this whole Temple Mount is going to be destroyed and blown up, basically, that that piques people's curiosity. And uh, here's the disciples are no different than all of us. And so they're asking him specifically, Lord, when when is this going to happen? And, And are there some signs, some things that we can see to know it's about to happen? And so in, in this chapter, Mark 13, as we've been going through the book of Mark, uh, we're now introduced to a new category in the area of theology that we call eschatology. Eschatology. Eska means last things. Ology means study of. So the study of the last things or uh, the end times, maybe you've heard of that in the church world, future events. And it's all culminating around the second coming of Jesus from heaven here to earth, his return. That's the big event that everything's leading up to. And so, um, right out of the gate, as we're introduced to this area of theology, this, this subject from Jesus, there's a point for you and I as God's people to apply. Here it is. Study the future. You and I, if we love the Lord... We, we should study the passages in the Bible about the future events and Jesus' uh, second coming. And, and you see, when you approach this subject in the Bible, there are potentially at least two ditches that we can find ourselves in. There's either the ditch where we avoid it, and um, we don't want to talk about the passages. We don't want to deal with them whatsoever. We avoid them like the plague. And, and, and some people, they do that because one is they're just like, it just doesn't matter for my life now. Uh, what's the future have to do with me? I just want to live now. And you know, so they don't really think it's relevant. And hopefully by the end of today, you're going to see that there's a lot of reasons why it's very relevant. In fact, the title of the sermon is The Future Matters Now. Uh, Other people would avoid this subject and all these passages because uh, they have heard some people debating and arguing about it, and it kind of turned them off. Uh, Maybe raise your hand if you've ever heard any Christians debating about end times details, okay, raptures and all that fun stuff, and maybe we were some of the ones debating about those things, and uh, raise your hand if you think you won the, I'm just, don't, 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 don't answer that one, all right, Um, (laughs) but but here's the thing, Uh, either way, Either way, do not avoid these passages and study in the future and miss the blessing. There's a blessing that God wants for you and I in these types of passages. Let me explain. First of all, if you're going to try to avoid these passages and also try to be a student of the Word of God, you're going to have a really hard time avoiding this subject. Let me explain. Uh, This is a visual of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the ones that are in blue, only four of the 27 do not touch on future events in the second coming of Jesus. And three of the four are only one chapter long books. So there's not a lot of content to begin with. In other words, this subject is all over the New Testament. Uh, Another way to say it is one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament touches on the second coming of Christ. Or there's 318 chapters in the New Testament. You have to, there's gonna be a test on this. No, just kidding, there's not. But, But 216 of the 318 touch on the second coming of Christ. So if we're gonna be students of the word, it's hard to even avoid this subject. Um, But another thing is this, I love this, Uh, Jesus kind of found it important. 
I mean, here he's spending a whole chapter of this book uh, talking about future events. And uh, something I've learned as I've been following the Lord throughout my life is if it's, if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to me. Amen? In church today? Yeah. Okay. Let's try, let's try that again. Okay. If it's important to Jesus, it should be important to me too. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. But, but here's the other thing is that the book of Revelation, the last book there, uh, primarily is written about the future coming of Jesus Christ. And it's the only book in the New Testament that specifically says that if we read and study it, we will be blessed by God for doing so. Not saying that you'll be, not be blessed from the others. It's just, it's specific there. Almost like the Lord knew that there'd be a lot of his people that didn't want to touch on these things. In fact, listen to it. Revelation chapter one, verse three. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, the book of Revelation, and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Time of what? Jesus's return is coming near. God wants to bless us. The word blessed is a happiness that is not dependent on our circumstances, but we can have a true deep joy and happiness through whatever circumstances we're going through. How many of us would love to have a true happiness and joy no matter what's going on in our lives? I don't know anybody on the street that would say they didn't want to have that. And here's what the Lord is saying. Children, if you want more and more true, deep joy and happiness, one of the things you can do is study the future coming of me back to this world. Think about that. And hopefully by the end of today, you're going to see some of those blessings that the Lord wants for us. And, uh, and so we're going to jump into that. But the point is, don't avoid it. Don't avoid it and uh, miss the blessing. Here's, a, here's another thing. The, uh, the other ditch that potentially we could fall into, uh, you, you know, we don't want to avoid it. Okay. But the other one is we're going to study it and we're going to become very strict or dogmatic about every little detail of the end times. And we don't want to fall into that. In other words, it's to claim that, that I know what all the symbols and all the imagery and all the, I don't know what they are. I know exactly when they're going to be. And, and I get really strict. And there's no room or margin for me being wrong. In fact, I know, and I'm going to say this in love, but I know there's some people probably in the life of this church who, you know, as we've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark, which I love going verse by verse because it is, I can't avoid certain subjects. You just got to deal with them. And I love that. But I know some people have probably been going, man, I can't wait till they get, they get to Mark 13. Oh, I can't wait because I love end times. And, 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 and I, they better say it exactly the way I, I, I believe it's going to be. And if they don't, I'm going to send an email and we're going to have coffee and we're going to have debates. And we're going to fight about it and all this. Now, now here's the thing. We are going to have Monday morning quarterback tomorrow morning, 730 in the morning. Okay. I'm going to be there. I won't stand you up. I will be there and uh, we'll have fun talking about things. But if you come wanting to like duke it out over the finest little details of the end times, you're going to be sorely disappointed because a lot of the things. Uh, we just don't believe that, that we can exactly know some of the finer details. We can know the big things, okay? Jesus is coming back and he wins in the end, right? We'll fight over that, all right? But, but like a lot of the other things, like we'll have fun tomorrow with coffee in our hand. But like if you're looking for duking it out, I, I'm going to disappoint you. Now, I did hear that Pastor Doug likes to do that. Uh, so feel free to send him those emails. All right. <laughs> little sarcasm. All right. Um, I'll hear about that later. Okay. But here's the thing. Um, do not be strict 
and, and fall into pride. Do not be strict about these things and fall into pride. For example, you guys ever hear of anybody or a group of people claim to know the exact day Jesus is coming back? Right? Job's Witnesses tried this at least a few times. Of course, it hasn't happened. Joseph Smith tried this with Mormonism. It hasn't happened. Uh, maybe more recent would be Harold Camping. Maybe you've heard of him. 1994, he tried. Didn't happen. He tried it again. May 21st, 2011. Maybe you remember that. And it was all over the news. We're still here. Didn't happen. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, he learned this concept of the heart issue of what he was doing about pride. Listen to what he said about him and his ministry after 2011. Family radio has no interest in even considering another date. God has humbled us through the events of May 21st. Do you hear that? He's been humbled. To continue to even more fervently search the scriptures, not to find dates, but to be more faithful in our understanding. Right? We don't want to be that way. And it's the same kind of pride when we claim to know the exact day is also when we claim that we know every little fine detail, exactly how it's going to go with no errors possible. And, and so let's just stay away from that. Let's be humble. Let's approach it. There's blessing, but let's be open-handed about a number of things. Now, with all that said, as we've set that foundation for this subject, I'm going to take just a couple minutes to give the 30,000-foot view of the outline of end times events that Christian Family Chapel holds to. We have a doctrinal statement on this. You can read it on the website. And I'm going to give that hopefully very briefly right here. And as I said again, and I love this about the elders of the church, it's like we're saying, hey, this is what we believe. The big things we know, but smaller things and stuff, we could be wrong, but we think it's this way. And I love the humility in that. So I'm going to give a chart. Hopefully this uh, will be helpful. We'll get there. Okay. So uh, here it is. Here it is. The first thing that happened in the end times uh, after Jesus left and he went back to heaven was what we call Pentecost, an event. This is when the Holy Spirit came down and now lives inside of us. If you're a Christian here today, you know what I'm talking about. God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that event ushered in what we call the church age. We are now living in the church age. When God's church exists, we are filled by the Spirit. We are proclaiming the good news throughout the ends of the earth. That's where we live now. Now, into the future, we believe there will be an event that we call the rapture. The rapture is when we are raptured up, taken up. God's people that are living on the earth are taken up into the sky where Jesus will be, and we will be with him, and that's what we call the rapture. That will usher in uh, the tribulation. These are seven years where God is now bringing uh, deserved wrath onto the earth for the sins that are here and, and uh, whatnot, so there's a lot of things going on there, but that's the seven years of tribulation. Then we have Jesus' second coming, uh, where he comes finally from the sky. He actually comes back to the earth, goes to Jerusalem specifically, and from there will reign for a millennium. Now, Star Wars fans, this is not Bible future code for your millennium falcon. This is a thousand years of Jesus and his people reigning from Jerusalem. And then after that, we have another event, the great white throne judgment when God will finally judge all for what they did with his son. Did they believe in his son or not? And those that did, we get to be in the eternal kingdom with God once and for all, forevermore. 
and those that didn't will be in hell forever. And so if you want to categorize the theology of the end times, eschatology, it'd be premillennial, pre-tribulation, and that's where we stand. Now, Jesus in Mark 13, in our chapter today, he's going to bring out, touch on some of these and then bring some other finer details and events in. So let me explain those. First of all, in verses one through two in Mark 13, if we already read it, uh, he talks about the temple in Jerusalem and he says, it's all going to be destroyed, not one stone left on top of the other. And guess what? Jesus in about 33 AD predicts that. And by 70 AD, it happened exactly the way he said, and today not one stone has been left on top of the other. He fulfilled, if it was fulfilled there by the Romans. Now another, then he goes on in verses five through eight, and he talks about in the future, there will be early birth pains, as he says. And uh, for those that are familiar with anything of the process of having children and pregnancies and birth, is that when the contractions start, something big is about to happen. It's just a matter of time. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is saying. When you start seeing these things, and in those verses, he talks about there'll be false messiahs, people claiming to be Jesus, but they're not. There's going to be false prophets, people claiming to speak for Jesus, but they're not. He also says there's going to be wars and rumors of it more and more, and there's going to be more and more natural disasters such as earthquakes and, um, and famines. And, and so the Indonesia earthquake that just happened this last week, so he's saying these are early birth pains. More and more in the world, you're going to see them happen. Then verses 9 through 13, you'll also see increased church persecution, but also growth in the world. At the same time, you're going to see the gospel spread more and more as we get closer to Jesus' return, but we're also going to see more and more persecution of God's people as we get closer to his return. And then in verses 14 through 18, Jesus then brings up a new event that we didn't have up here yet, and that is the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. There's a lot of big words today. I know that, but hang with me. What that means is we believe there will be a third temple built in Jerusalem today by the Jews. They'll start animal, animal sacrifices once again. But then this guy named the Antichrist, maybe you've heard of that. He will come into the temple at this moment and he will say, stop worshiping God. I'm God. Worship me. And he's going to desecrate the temple. And that is this big event. Jesus again talks about it. Verses 14 through 18. Well, then, then in verses 19 through 23, we already have it up here. Jesus addresses the tribulation period. And then in verses 24 through 27, Jesus talks about his second re coming, his return from heaven to earth. And so hopefully this has been helpful. And uh, there's obviously a lot more details around all of this, but uh, this is that 30,000 foot view. Well, after all of this, uh, when you get to verses 28 through 29, you see Jesus uh, talk about, you can just imagine he's on the Mount of Olives and he just looks over and sees a fig tree. And he says, you know, it's kind of like, like a fig tree or any other kind of tree. When you see the leaves start coming uh, in the springtime, you need to get ready because you know what is coming. Summer, right? And that happens here and happens all around the world. And it's so simple. But what he's saying is, and this, this is the second point of application for you and I as we look at these passages, is get ready. You need to be ready. I'm telling you these signs so that you can be ready. Now, with that said, some of you might be saying, now, wait a second, didn't we just say earlier in verse 32, you know, where Jesus says, no one can know the day or the hour. 
We can't know the day or the hour. And, but let me listen to this. This is important. We can't know the day and the hour of Jesus' return, but we can know the seasons and the signs. I'm going to say that again. We can't know the day and the hour. Jesus said that clear in this passage in verse 32, 33. But we can know the season and the signs. I mean, that's why Jesus has given us all these signs, so that we can be ready to do that. In fact, listen to the language of the urgency of Jesus to get ready for his return. Verse 9, he says, be on your guard. Verse 23, take heed. Verse 29, recognize that I am near right at the door. Uh, Verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. And then finally, verses 34 through 37, he says, be on the alert For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly, and get this, and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, be on the alert. Now, I might not be the brightest crane in the box or the sharpest knife in the drawer, or I might be a few noodles short of a chow mein. I'm not smart, is what I'm trying to say. But... I think I get the big point of what Jesus is saying throughout this whole chapter. Get ready for my return. Make sure you're ready for me when I come back. And he's given us all these signs to be ready. It's kind of like, you know, Wednesday at 2.18 p.m., all of our phones lit up with a message from the government saying there's something important going on. Of course, it was a test, but that's the whole point of it. And Jesus is saying all these things are trying to get our attention to be ready. Now, here's the question. Lord, why do we need to be ready? I mean, why can't we just live every day saved and just everything just happens? Why do we just, why do we need to be ready? And there's at least a couple reasons why. Jesus really highlights this one, and that's this. We need to be ready to avoid deception. We need to be ready to avoid deception that's coming. Listen to to verses five through six. Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. You hear that? Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. Then he circles back in the theme to verse 21 and he says, then, And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show you signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And so you have these false crises, people claiming to be Jesus, but they're not false prophets. And they're led by the real enemy, by Satan. They're not led by the Lord. And they're out there and they're trying to lead people astray. And Jesus is saying, get ready so that you will be faithful to me and not be led astray. Because if you think about it, when trials occur in our lives as God's people, uh, we have more urgency than ever to want to see Jesus come back. I know I'm probably not the only one that I'm having some really hard trial in my life, and I've said this prayer often. Lord, if you want to come back tonight, that would be awesome. Like, I'd be up for that. You know, why? Because we know when he comes back, all of our trials are done when we're in his presence. Amen to that. And think about this. So he's saying there's going to be more and more and more trials and things like that. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. And so God's people are going to be more and more tempted to follow false messiahs and false prophets and and those kinds of things. And he's saying, don't do that. But you know what? Jesus, 
He's God, and he knows the future. And you know what? He predicted it's happened, and it continues to happen. In history, we've had Muhammad came, false prophet. Uh, Joseph Smith, Mormonism, false prophet. Charles Taze Russell, false prophet of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Jim Jones, maybe some of you were alive when he was around doing his thing. Totally not Jesus and not a giver from God. We also have Dave Koresh. He's dead. That didn't work out. Uh, and then um, even modern day, right? Even modern day. I mean, these guys are in Australia. Okay, this guy's name, I found this guy, Alan John Miller, I think is his name. And there's, there's other people that today, they claim to be Jesus on the earth right now. And uh, let me just say this. If they, I know the Australian accent is awesome. I mean, I pray for it and I, I don't have it yet. <laughs> It'd be great if I could have an Australian accent. But just because someone has an Australian accent and they claim to be Jesus, don't fall for it, okay? And, uh, and this is also really funny, too, because that this wife claims that she's Mary. Apparently, Mary in heaven, like, wanted to get on the drama of the end times and, like, said, I'm coming down, too. Anyway, here's the deal. It's crazy, all right? Just, just don't follow this. And I love the Lord so much because he loves us, and he's like, guys, they're going to come. Don't follow him. Stay faithful, okay? Don't be deceived. I'm giving you signs to look for. Now, there's another reason that we should be ready for his return. It's not just not being misled, which is important, but there's also something that we should be doing for Jesus' return. And I love it. Jesus tucked it into the middle of a passage in verse 10. Look at it in your own Bible. Look at it. The gospel, which is the message of how we can have our sins forgiven in Jesus, just like these girls just testified today. Right? They heard the gospel and they were saved. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And CFC, whose job is it to declare the gospel around? It's ours, isn't it? Whether we're going, whether we're sending, whatever it is, it's our call. Jesus said that later on in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. And when you study the rest of the whole New Testament, you hear the theme. Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back, but until then, go and make disciples of all the world. And this is one of the things. We need to be ready by making disciples. Jesus doesn't want to return and find us sitting on our hands. Oh, you're saved. Great. Like there's something he wants us doing. In fact, Jesus really taught this in Luke 19 in the parable of the talents. It's like, I'm giving you the stuff to go make disciples. And I sit on your hands. When I come back, I want to see that you've been doing this for me. And uh, you say, what exactly does it mean to make disciples? At the very essence, what it means is everything from sharing the gospel message with unbelievers around us to then taking new believers and teaching them the basics of Christianity to train them to then do the same thing so that disciple-making continues. Now, here's the, here's the question that is challenging. Are we making disciples? Are we getting ready by making disciples? Are there any unbelievers we've been sharing the gospel with any time lately? Or are there any new believers that we're meeting with regularly and pouring in so that they can, they can do the same thing down the road? And I know right now there's probably many of us that are like, I'd love to do that, I want to do that, but I've never been discipled myself. I don't know how to do that. And that's very common. And you know, I love this church for a lot of reasons. One of them is that there are some specific groups that are designed to teach us how to be discipled and then how to disciple other people. And I'm not even touching on the youth. There's different groups in the youth ones as well. But even in the adults, there's life-on-life groups. There's scriptural sow for the soul. And there's strong, firm, and steadfast groups. And so I just want to encourage us, let's apply. 
Let's be ready by making disciples. And if we haven't been taught, uh, get the connect card in front of you before you leave. Check the box that says adult classes. Write discipleship on there. And we'll follow up with you and we'll get you into the next group so that we can be trained to be ready so when the Lord returns, he finds us doing what he left us to do. Amen to that. Now, there's a couple other applications out of the passage that I believe God wants for us. Here's what the Lord's saying. And endure trials, children. Endure trials. Are there going to be more trials in the end, Lord? Oh, man. Verses 8 through 9, I'll summarize those. Again, there's going to be more and more wars. There's going to be more natural disasters. There's going to be more persecution. And Jesus isn't done. And when by the time you get to verse 12, he says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Man, Lord, that's hard. Are you done yet? Nope. Verse 19. For those days will be a time of tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened his days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Wow. I mean, basically, here's what Jesus is saying. Um, you know, a lot of us have a hard life, have some hard trials going on in our lives. I mean, you could probably build a very solid case with what is going on that you have some hard trials. And here's what Jesus is saying, though. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. It is just going to get worse. In fact, it's going to be so bad it's, that I, literally he said it's going to be worse than it's ever been in the history of of the world. Wow. So how in the world is this encouraging us to endure trials? <laughs> you just paint this gloom and doom picture, but there's a couple reasons we can be encouraged. Is that first of all, the Spirit is in you. The Spirit of God is in us. And Jesus brings that out in verse 11. When they arrest you, he says, and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. And I love this. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're going to go through hard times in life. And when we get closer to Jesus' return, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get harder. But this is what the Lord's saying. You're not alone. You're not alone. Because I've sent the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of you, and you're not alone. In fact, there's going to be sometimes he's just going to give you the words to say. This is huge for us. This is what we talk about as the church when we say be spirit-empowered followers of Christ. He has been given to us, and he is a gift to us. And I don't know about you, but many times when I've struggled in trials, it has made all the difference. Even if I don't have anybody else around me, that I know the Holy Spirit is with me that I'm not alone. That's encouraging to endure through the trials of this world. Praise the Lord. But also we can be encouraged by another reason, which is this. Your trials have purpose. Our trials actually have purpose to them. You know what atheism's explanation of trials and hardships in life is? Stinks to be you. Random acts of 
life and things and bumping in and, and there's no reason for it, no purpose for what you're going through, no explanation for it in the sense like there's any meaning or purpose to it, just stinks to be you, completely meaningless. But the reality is, is that there's purpose from God for whatever the trials are that we're going through. That God has allowed things to happen in our lives. First of all, to bring himself more glory, but also because he's refining us and he's making us more like him. And the only way to do that is by letting some trials to occur in our lives. And that makes all the difference when you're suffering and you're going through a hard thing. To know this isn't some meaningless suffering, but there's purpose from the Lord who loves me. I mean, how many of us are going through a trial right now, or maybe we just went through one? Maybe in your marriage or your, your kids, finances, physical something going on. Maybe you're facing death unless God intervenes. But just be encouraged by this. It's not meaningless. God is in control, and he's using it. Praise the Lord. These are things that can just encourage us so much. It does for me. Well, there's one more thing that God wants to encourage us with in this passage. And we're going to look at verse 26 with me. This is so good. Then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Here's the final point that I believe God wants us to hear today is this. Live as a victor. Children of God, Christians, live as a victor. If there isn't anything else you've heard the last 35 minutes, I hope and I pray that you hear this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, live as a victor. There's two reasons why at least. Here's one of them. If you haven't picked this up yet, Jesus wins. Jesus wins in the end. I love it. I was talking to Pastor Bill here at the middle school, and we were talking about this subject in the sermon coming up a couple weeks ago, and, um, and I loved it. He said, yeah, you know, my, my college uh, class on eschatology, we got in the first day, the professor said, hey, everybody, write down these two words. I'm going to summarize it. Jesus wins. And, uh, and that was it. And then he said, don't even come back all semester. Just write that down. No, he probably didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, but it's so true. Think about this, guys. We don't worship and follow a God who loses. We are following the Lord who has already won. And now he's cleaning up the remnants of the enemy while they're on the run. I'm going to say that one more time because this has to sink in, okay? We don't follow a God who loses, but we are following a Lord who has already won when he resurrected from the dead. And now he is in the business of cleaning up the enemy while they are on the run. Just turn to your Christian next to you and just tell him, say, you're a victor. Just say it right now, bold and confident. You are a victor. You're like, that's kind of cheesy. Well, I could have had you say you're a winner. I feel like it's a little more cheesy. You're a winner. But it's true, right? We are. 
And you're like, why do we do that? Because you know what? We get told all sorts of junk every day as Christians in this society. We are losers. We're weird. We're, you know, you're one of those, you know? I mean, like we get torn down all the time. We're not cool, this and that. We're just, you know, whatever those things are. And we just need to hear it more because it's the truth. We're winners and we're following the Lord that doesn't just talk smack, right? And then loses like last night. The point is... The point, UFC deal. Okay, so anyway, um, but we're, talk, we're following a Lord who doesn't just say he's a winner. He has won, and here's the point. Here's the point. It's our identity. This is our identity. We're victors in Christ. We're victors in Christ. I don't know how many times that in my flesh and the enemy and the things of the world get to me, and I feel ashamed that I'm a Christian in a group of people. Maybe I'm alone on that. Maybe not. At school, be ashamed, I'm a Christian at workplace, ashamed at the beach, whatever it is, and I feel like a nerd, a loser, whatever, but listen, what God is saying to us is you need to have a holy confidence, not an arrogance, big difference, but a holy confidence in who you are because of who I am. And listen to what God says to us through Paul. Paul said this in Hebrews 13, 6, we can confidently say, the Lord is our helper. We will not be afraid. For what can man do to us? You hear the holy confidence in that? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, He who is in us is what? Greater than he, Satan, who's in the world. Church, listen, no matter how hard our life gets, even as the trials increase and persecution gets harder and, and society looks like it's getting farther away from God, but listen, it doesn't matter because Jesus is already one and we're on that side. Are we picking up today what God is putting down in his word? Amen? Amen to that. We are winners in the Lord. Let's live like it. Let's have a holy confidence. It'll change your life. Jesus' disciples changed their lives. They went from fearful to fearless. What happened? They saw Jesus die, raised from the dead, go back to heaven and tell them, I've already won and here's all the stuff, so don't be surprised. Go get them. And they did. And the world has been changed. Because they claim the identity that they are victors, even though most of them were killed. They had a holy confidence in the Lord. He'll change your life if you claim this for your life. And if you don't mind, I'd just love to testify for a bit. This is nothing about me. I want you to hear that really clear. This is about what God has done in me, hopefully to encourage you today. But, but I'm going to show a picture to kind of show you my background, all right? That's 1993-ish. About 13 years old, 90s colors, they're coming back. I love Ecclesiastes is so true. Things just everything just comes back. I think it's rayon or silk, those are gonna come back. I know it. But I was kind of a nerd. I really was. I was quiet. I mean, I see anybody who went to middle school or high school with me, I was quiet. Where am I at right now? What am I doing? I'm standing in front of all of you. I mean, this is crazy. But see, this is what I found throughout the years following the Lord, realizing he is one. I'm a victor in him. This is my identity. And so it's like, okay, Lord, you want me to speak in front of people? I am freaked out. But would you please help me and fill me with your spirit? And I'm telling you, he has changed my life. And I have another picture I think that can summarize that a little bit too. Just a couple years ago, 
Um, I had the opportunity to go to the, in Iowa, that's where I was a pastor, I had to go to the Capitol and there was a, a bill being debated and, and it was gonna be um, uh, protecting and saving pre-born lives, if you know what I'm talking about. And so I wanna go back and go down there and, and stand up for those who can't speak for themselves. And so I go down there with a handful of Christians and we are met with, and this picture doesn't do justice, and I didn't even know this picture was taken until the next day, but there are just 400 people there uh, that, let's just say, are on the other side of the debate. And they are fired up. And uh, there was only about 20 of us not wearing pink that day. And it was intimidating. But I said, Lord, by your grace and by your power, I can do this. And so they were kind of like taking turns testifying. It was weird. But anyway, finally I said, oh, hey. And I just raised up my voice and said, what about the six million or whatever million people who have died so far in the name of all of this? And I wish I could say everybody just said, oh, I want Jesus. That's not at all what happened. In fact, it was the opposite. And I got called all sorts of things I haven't heard since middle school. <laughs> and, uh, and it was bad. In fact, it looks like they're smiling like having a good time. It's actually they're mocking me and they're laughing about it. That's how that's all going. But you know what? Here's the thing. When I look at this picture and I look at that, I'm like, who is that guy? That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. As I've, in my life, I'm not perfect at it, man. But I'll tell you what, as I claim this victorious standing and identity, the Lord will change you. But I'll tell you what, as much as the disciples, it's cool to look at their lives and maybe look at mine and see that. But you know what? I don't know about you, but Jesus is always the best. And, and, and think about Jesus when he was looking at the cross and the flogging floor and all of his friends leave him. And did he ever run and hide and get sheepish or no? Did he have a holy confidence? Absolutely. Because he knew that when he got to that cross, he was going to win and he was going to defeat the enemies of sin and death and Satan once and for all. Because he is the victorious king. Brothers and sisters, we are his children. Let's live like that as well. I love the lyrics of this song. Listen to this. For his returning, we watch and we pray. We will be ready the dawn of that day. We'll join in singing with all the redeemed. Why? Because Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. Let's stand and sing that.
true. He's already won. We're on the winning side. Let that just sink in as we go this week. Let's go and be spirit-empowered in the Lord. Let me say this really quick. If you notice the words of that song, we belong to the king. Here's a question. Are you confident that you belong to King Jesus? And if you're not confident, if you have questions about what it means to belong to him, to be saved, to be a Christian, I'm going to be up front, love to talk to you about that and answer any questions you have. But let's go this week. We belong to him. Amen. You're dismissed.